Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we are continuing the 20th birthday celebration for AGLCA. If you listened last week, you know we talked to our founders, Ron and Eva Staub, and today we'll be talking to the couple who took over the association when it had grown a little bit beyond what Ron and Eva wanted to handle, just the two of them, and that, of course, is Janice and Steve Cromer. Before we bring them into this discussion, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Janice and Steve, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. So full disclosure, those who have heard some of these podcasts, um, I think we, we featured one a few a month or so ago where I was being interviewed by somebody else. Um, but for those of you who maybe haven't heard the story, Janice and Steve are actually my parents. So full disclosure, I got involved in this through them. Uh, but they are the second directors of AGLCA after taking over the association from Ron and Eva Staub. So uh, picking up where we left off last week, but I do like to always kind of hear everybody's looping story. So um Maybe start with Steve. Uh, tell us how you first learned about the Great Loop, because Janice, I know you learned about it from Steve. Correct. I think it was in a magazine article, and I, I also think it was in Passage Maker, but it, there was an article in there about doing the Great Great Loop, and I picked up on that and proceeded from there to join AGLCA. Mm-hmm. And so it was from the same article that you learned about AGLCA? Yep. And, That's um, what I think. Yeah, and I, I do have to say that at that time, uh, when did you join? Do, do you remember? I, I think it was probably well, 15 years ago or more of the 20 that it's been I, in existence. I think it might have been 17 years ago, but mm-hmm. 15 is good too. So. Somewhere around there. Um, but again, full disclosure, at that time, I thought you were crazy <laughs> um, <laughs> having young grandchildren and uh we just thought, what are, what are they talking about, getting on the boat and, and doing this trip? Um, and as part of the process of taking it over from the stops, I learned more and really started to get what this was all about. But kind of uh, either of you, kind of tell us how it came about that you went from members of the association to actually taking over the responsibility of running the association on a day-to-day basis. Well, I started... Uh, don't remember a year again, but doing uh, an email digest manually. Uh, The web presence in those days was not very good and and it was just tough to get it done. So I used to manually take emails that people sent me and take the text out of them, put them all together in a digest and email it to the entire membership. You also had to maintain the list so I can remember you adding people constantly, manually. Correct. So, but the other thing is that compared to today, the forum was so slow, so slow in traffic that there were days where there was nothing to send, so I got to send jokes instead. (laughs) And if you all know me, my jokes are terrible, so it was a good thing that the forum grew. 
Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, I can't imagine doing that manually today because last time I kind of got a week average, it was like 40 to 50 posts a day and obviously yeah. some days more. Um, so that would be a big job these days. Um, yep. But Janice, you served as the executive director from the time um, KFR, which is your company, took over the association. I think that was... Um, 2009, if I'm not mistaken, and you served as executive director for quite some time. Um, tell us about that role and what you liked about it. Well, first of all, I think we took over um, mid-2006. Um, wow, I just have my dates all confused today. <laughs> that's okay. It doesn't make much difference. But um, we took over the association. I don't know if Steve wants to get into um, how we decided to do it, but we were downtown for a KFR services strategy meeting, and we had wanted to diversify. And Ron and Eva had called that they were in town planning the spring rendezvous, and did we want to have dinner? And I really didn't because it was my birthday, and I just always like to celebrate that with family. <laughs> but we went, and we just had a lovely time. And Ron and Eva mentioned that they wanted to retire. And it just kind of fit in with the diversification plans. So um, we accomplished that. That was December. And we had everything, all the paperwork done, the contracts, and everything taken ready to go by the end of March. Uh -huh. Well, the thing that I always remember about that was that the strategic meeting we were having went on the morning again after we had dinner with Ron and Eva. And we talked about it with all of our senior people, and everybody was in favor of pursuing AGLCA. Although Kim just said she really wasn't, but that's okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, I think our children thought we were crazy wanting to run an association, but we did Well, it. again, full disclosure, um, KFR is a family business, so... Um, we kind of looked at it as, oh, good, that's something for mom and dad to do to keep them busy while we're working on the rest of the business. So great plan. Um, and then fast forward, it was really as part of that process that Ron and Eva came to the office and showed us their pictures of their entire great loop. And that's when I really understood what this was about, because the pictures were, of course, amazing of all the, the small towns and big cities and all the amazing things that you can see on these waterways. Um, so that was kind of the aha moment for me when I understood it. And again, for those who don't know, I pretty much started working a little bit for the association, um, kind of right off the bat, helping with some things. And um, the other part of the business is in utility data. So didn't really realize how boring that actually was until I got to work with AGLCA full-time. <laughs> so now I love what I do. Um, but Janice, you were executive director. Um, again, the years are all kind of a blur, but I think until probably 2015, 2016. Does that sound yeah, about right? Yeah, I think right? it was mid-2016. And Kim just kind of hit the nail on the head. I had been a tariff researcher, which... If you've ever read a tariff, a telecommunications tariff, it's the driest reading in the world. And um, did that for years and didn't realize how boring it was until something else came along. So, well, um, during your tenure as executive director, it was kind of anything but boring because there were a few correct. challenges in those years, including um, your, and I still hear about this today, you are heralded for uh, saving the carp captives and the river rats. Um, <laughs> so kind of tell us a little bit about those two challenges that you faced during your time as the director. Well, the river rats, people were stuck on the rivers. It was just, you know, spring. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was the fall. 
right before the um, fall rendezvous. And the rivers were swollen and um, people were stuck in place along the um, Illinois and the Mississippi, Upper Mississippi River. And in those days, we just did an Excel spreadsheet. And I asked people to be in touch with us as they moved their boats. And we kept track of who was where and what the marina's availability was. And it was just really loads of fun, but it was um, intense. Mm-hmm. And, then well, and the- let me just comment on that real quick, because we're looking at a similar situation in 2020 with the closures on the Illinois Waterway. And uh, I'll, I'll be picking Janice's brain for how to do that, because we're going to be working with the members who may be waiting that out in the Chicago area and proceeding down the rivers a little bit later than normal. And if you've watched our webinar, you know that if 50 boats leave Hammond Marina at the same time and head down the river, there's not going to be dockage for everybody. So we are planning well, to work at the same way Janice did to kind of stage people going down the river and make sure there's <laughs> enough um, dockage for everybody as they go. Excuse me, Kim. I know yeah. you well enough. You will not be using a simple Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> oh, I try to keep it simple, but <laughs> um, tell us about the, uh, the carp captives was kind of the other. The um, people are again, I'm sure everybody's read about the carp stories, but the carps were invading the Great Lakes and there was an electronic barrier and our boats couldn't get through. And we were able to arrange passage. Um, I forget exactly who was involved, but it was basically a barge company. And we were able to arrange the boats to get through using the barge company. And we were able, the barge company, of course, was charging a fortune to tow our boats through. And we were able to negotiate a nice discount and kind of stage the whole process. So I think that goes to what I enjoyed about the organization so much or about the executive director. Um, I love organizing things, and there was just so much of that to do. And um, I love doing customer service, so it was just kind of a combination of the two. So it, it worked out great for me. Yeah, and I feel like the more things change, the more they stay the same because um, the same types of issues that you were helping with then still exist today, and the, the Illinois closure is probably the biggest one um, that we're looking at. And, of course, uh, many of those locks on the Illinois River are currently on a partial closure, if you've been mm-hmm. following that along in the forum or on Facebook. Um, new dates came out today, which has me a little bit nervous for 2020 because I've been of the opinion that oh. they had planned this well and were, um, you know, it's such a commercial waterway that they couldn't afford to let those de- deadlines slip. Um, mm-hmm. But they're proving me wrong for this year. <laughs> Partly because of all the flooding that happened, you know, this has just been um, an unmatched season in terms of the rainfall and the flooding. Um, But yeah, so if anyone has not seen the information yet, the dates have changed a bit for the full opening that was scheduled to happen for a couple weeks before the full closure. So check out the forum for that. Um, The issue is that the there's a much bigger queue of commercial traffic than they had hoped. They just can't get them all through in the 12 hours a day that they're open right now. Um, So they plan to be open 24 seven this weekend um, to try and get some of that commercial traffic through. But because of that, they're missing two days of work. So those two days of work will now be uh, September 10th and 11th, which was when the complete opening was supposed to start. So the full open 24 seven is now September 12th through 21st, and then the full closure for two weeks. And from September 12th to 21st, you can expect a lot of commercial traffic um, because of the backlog and because of 
the fact that it will be closed for two weeks after that. So check out the forum. There's some details on what pleasure vessels can expect um, because commercial traffic typically takes priority. So didn't mean to get off topic, but um, that well, is a big important. change because a lot of people coming down the river are, you know, planning for that September 10th date to get there and they have pushed that back. So that was a little diversion, um, but back to the topic at hand. Um, so Janice, you retired in 2016, and that's when I became the director. Uh, lucky me, because this is a great job. Uh, but Steve, you actually are still actively working part-time for AGLCA. A little bit more in the background. You're not uh, composing forum digests for us every day, but tell us a little nope. bit about your role today. Well, a lot of what I do is still for the website, mostly with the interactive map that we've worked on over the last couple of years. But I, the rest of what I do is, I call it odds and ends, but it really is for financial and accounting. Mm -hmm. um, and it, that's an ever evolving situation with AGLCA. So we work on it continually. Right. Not full time, but continually. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break right here and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll hear a little bit more about kind of your Great Loop story as opposed to the story of you running the organization. So we'll be back in a moment. Good morning, Loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the Salty Southeast Cruisers Net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey, and as your resource for accurate, timely, and useful information, we want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruisers Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages, as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers, may we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guests today are Janice and Steve Cromer, who were the uh, second set of directors of the association after Ron and Eva Staub, our founders. And we are kind of uh, chatting with them as a continuation of our anniversary celebration. This is AGLCA's 20th birthday. So um, you two took over the association uh, around 2006, sometime that, in that time frame. Um, and of course, there's been huge technology advances um, since that. But what are some of the things that you changed uh, when you started running the organization? Um, Steve, do you want to go first? Or? No, you can go. Oh, yeah, I think the biggest thing was <laughs> anyone who knows Steve knows we computerized everything that we could. Um, there were no more paper um, subscriptions to become a member. Um, that was all done through the website. The website was greatly enhanced. Um, we did a lot more um, advertising and PR than had done, been done previously. Um, we started a, a formal advisory council made up at that time of people who had completed the loop. Um, we basically formalized the whole running of the business. Um, Ron and Ever did a fantastic job, but basically they did it with just the two of them out of their kitchen, and it was getting really difficult. Um, Steve and I basically ran the association when we took over, but we did have some help, um, so that made it be able to grow quicker. Um, we started the sponsor program, I believe, or Ron and Ever had started it, but we, um, we put in different levels of sponsorship. Oh, heavens, what else? Um, well, Janice, you were the one who actually started this podcast. 
Oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I did. Yes, uh-huh. you did. And uh, we did the podcast. And honestly, that was much more um, time-consuming than I had thought it would be because it wasn't only recording the podcast. It was trying to get interesting topics and then getting people knowledgeable in that topic. And what else did we do? Oh, we did the we started the Harbor Host program about that time. So yeah, we just kind of tried to augment it as much as we could to make it as valuable to people doing the loop as we could. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just some of the current current stats, so to speak. Um, you know, the podcast now has close to four hundred episodes that are in the archives. Um, the Harbor Hosts program ha- is approaching 400 Harbor Hosts around the loop that are there to help their fellow loopers. Um, we have crossed 4,000 active memberships, which is, it's you know, a few years ago seemed like an unreachable number. Not that that was even a, a goal because uh, we didn't know that there could be that much interest in the Great Loop. But um, you know, did you ever think that it would become this big or have this much interest? I did not. I- I, I knew there was a great deal of potential, but I didn't see, never thought that 4,000 members, memberships would be important. Mm-hmm. The number that I've, numbers that I wrote down to give you an idea of what we've done over the years is when I first signed up, my member number was 1133. And remember, Ron and Evans was number one. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Kim, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, this point, new members coming in are assigned membership numbers of eighteen thousand or above. So we've had that much membership change in the years. It's actually nineteen in the nineteen thousands now. So it's yeah, quite wow. <laughs> a few. Yep. So what do you think it is that's attracting more people to the Great Loop than in the past? I'm going to answer first, and then Janice will have some other input. To me, it's a dream that most people in in the world have no clue even exists. And when they find out about it, it becomes much more important to them. Um, I think basically, well, first of all, because so many people are hearing about the loop um, that hadn't heard about it before, and we can really thank the internet for that, and advertising and magazine articles. And as the membership grows, Word of mouth grows, so people are just hearing about it, and it's an adventure. I mean, I think life gets boring, and if people can have an adventure that's fairly safe and no other people have done it, I think, you know, it just grows. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your Great Loop story. You know, what, what boat did you have? And Janice, you were, you were kind of the reluctant spouse, so to speak. So tell us about that. I was definitely the reluctant spouse. Um, I loved running the organization and I loved the people, but I am a control freak and I just couldn't imagine being on, on, on a boat for a year and giving up all control of time and itinerary and things to do because as boaters know, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of the weather and flooding and I just didn't think I could do it. Um, Technology helped tremendously because as the technology grew, we were able to, and Steve was wonderful getting everything new we could think of on that boat. So I did, I felt like I was less out of control of running the organization because I could work from the boat 
and that made a huge difference to me. Well, and I um, think, um, you know, you said you didn't, you were concerned about spending a year on the boat and, and you actually though did do a large portion of the loop together, um, kind of in segments as we're seeing more yeah. and more people do it today. So, um, you know, I know you spent extended periods of time. I'm not sure what, what the longest trip you did, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what was that longest trip and how far starting here from here in Charleston, South Carolina, how far South did you go and how far North did you go? We went as far south as Fort Lauderdale. We were going to Miami, and honestly, um, our boat was air drive was what state, 26 feet? 24. 24. We couldn't get through all of the bridges, and timing the bridges just wasn't working. So we would spend half the time just kind of idling. And we got to Fort Lauderdale, and we loved it. And we just started, decided to stay in Fort Lauderdale. And we made our way slowly back to Charleston on that trip. And I think we were gone six weeks or so. Maybe a little longer, yeah. A little longer. Okay. And then I think it was the next year we decided to go north. And Steve, why don't you give us that itinerary? Well, we had decided, I'm not sure it was the next year. It doesn't matter. But we had decided the next long trip would be to Washington, D.C., and I think we spent three months going and coming to get to Washington and back and had a wonderful time that we spent two weeks in D.C. and went from there. So I guess the, part of the reason I was asking those questions about how far and how long, um, because Janice was a very reluctant spouse, um, but still managed to enjoy those segments, if I'm not mistaken. Don't let me put words in your mouth there, Janice. But um did you enjoy them? And, and you know, were you on the, the way to overcoming that reluctancy through those trips? Um, no, by then I loved it. I mean, I just really, really enjoyed the trips. Um, the fact that I could get my work done in the morning. And then we usually did about 50, 50, 50 miles a day. And it left us time in the afternoon to relax and in the morning to do a little bit of work. And I'll never forget one of the most relaxing days I had in my life. Um, it was pouring out, and we we could not go anywhere on the boat. And I just stayed in the cabin and watched a wonderful movie. And it was just kind of it was just everything fell into place. It was so relaxing. You know, I really enjoyed them. You mentioned your boat's air draft was uh, twenty something, which um, yeah. obviously makes it too tall for the loop. Um, so between that and some health issues, you didn't finish the loop together. Um, but Steve, it was always kind of your goal to do the whole thing. And you have, in fact, become a gold looper after, uh, well, partly while you still had your boat and then some after selling it. So kind of tell us about what it was like to finish the loop by crewing for others, because I know we have a lot of people who would love that kind of an opportunity. Well, there were actually two different people that I crewed for. The first one was early on in the game. And I went essentially from Norfolk to Chicago with him. And then um, years and years went by, and it was finally 2017 when I teamed up with Michael Martin and met him in Chicago. We went all the way from Chicago back to Charleston on his boat. So it the, the ride with Michael Martin was a big learning curve for me because I had never been on a boat that would do 24 miles an hour before because our little old boat would do all of about seven knots. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So it was a whole different experience doing it at 24 miles an hour. And I think um, when that was said and done, I know, Steve, you were thrilled to have earned that gold flag. But I think, Janice, you were probably more ecstatic than he was because he had completed his dream, which was super sweet to see. Um, So the two of you have been involved in AGLCA for most of its existence. So what do you think is different about uh, today's loopers versus past loopers? And what's the same? Basically, um. I think you should you should take this one. Okay. As far as the um, tools that are available. Well, the notes that I made when I was getting ready for this is um, the loop itself is still the same. It's still in the same place. There'll be some changes in channels and markers and stuff, but it's the same waterways and the the same challenges to get there and and. Uh, get around it the other comment i had is i'm going to use this term advisedly but in the bad old days there was no such thing as chart plotters and ais and even anything much more than a handheld handheld gps so at that point all of the navigation had to be done on paper charts with a little bit of help from a handheld gps and that required that you have knowledge of how to set up and plot a course, um, how to follow it, how to read markers, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, the, so today, the people have changed in that they rely uh, very much on chart plotters and other electronics. Um, and, and it makes a difference with them, but I'm not sure that those folks have the paper chart navigation skills that we had to have 20 years ago. The other thing, which is fun to even think about is early when I started doing the loop, there was no such thing as a cell phone. And we'd go out and I can remember sitting in a, on a pay phone up in the middle of the Erie Canal talking to Kim about something else we were doing. And it had to go out and put a dime in the pay phone to make that happen. Now everybody's got at least one cell phone, maybe more, which makes a huge difference. There was a lot of isolated, much more isolated when the loop first started than obviously than it is now. Um, so yes, you can keep in touch with people and you can keep in touch with your family. Mm-hmm. But I was telling Steve, I remember sitting at the Bellhaven Marina, um, checking in with Kim in the office, and Steve had this. Oh, what was it, Steve? Oh, I don't know. It's something I built myself. It's something I built myself, so don't worry about it. (laughs) It was the only way to keep in touch. Uh, um, So, yeah, technology has made a huge difference. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And um, in in speaking to uh, a looper who did the loop uh, back in the late 90s, and I was explaining the Nebo app that members are using now to kind of see where other members are nearby, and he kind of went, why would you need that? And I kind of yeah. explained it and said, well, you know, it's then, you know, who else is at your marina if you want to have some docktails? And he said, that's what the lock walls are for. While you're locking through, you're planning the docktails. I don't understand why you need this app. And um, that's probably <laughs> when it hit home to me how much it really has changed. Um, mm-hmm. But I agree. You know, there are some things that will remain the same, the route. Um, and I think the camaraderie <clears throat> on the route is also one of those things that 
that remains the same, but technology has certainly made it a different trip than it was many years ago. Bless you. Um, anything that I've left out that you two want to make sure listeners hear about? Well, the only thing uh, that was still on my list, and you already mentioned it, was mm-hmm. the camaraderie, which is, I think, one of the very important things that still remains the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that the personality of the loopers basically is the same. Um, you know, you have to be a boater, you have to love the water, and um, I think you have to be very persevering. And it was, it's, that hasn't changed much from what I can tell from the forum, reading the forum and talking to people. Mm-hmm. Well, Janice and Steve Crummer, last week with Ron and Eva Staub, um, we thanked them for starting the organization and nurturing it in its infancy. Um, and we also owe the two of you a debt of gratitude for kind of taking it through those teenage years and getting it to uh, the point where it is today, bringing the technology to where it is today. Um, so thank you for all you've done for AGLCA. We appreciate it. Thank well, you, Kim. We really appreciate that. Uh, you're welcome. I- uh, Go ahead, Steve. I was going to go slightly off on that one. And it also gets to thanks to you for helping make AGLCA to what it is today. Well, it is my pleasure. Um, this is such a fun group of people. And, you know, we help people do something that they're passionate about. So it, it's a great job. If you can't be on the water um, and have to have a desk job, this is a great one to have. <laughs> so, um, Someday you'll be on the water. We soon enough. One more one more child at home. So, Janice and Steve, thank you for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again on Great Loop Radio. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, safe cruising.